2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted, you to, entrusted to you. And then verse 1 of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ, Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord, I, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Second Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. We're going to jump right in. Um, Hunter read for us verse fourteen out of chapter one, and, and it, Paul is encouraging Timothy, right? He's a little timid and he's a little encouragement. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner, he tells us. And then in verse 14, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit and trust you. And we said kind of casually, um, when we're looking at that text that, you know, what does it mean to guard the good deposit? What does it mean to guard the gospel that we've been entrusted with? And, and part of it, we said, Aiden, is living it out. You know, living out the gospel, living a holy life, trying to obey the Lord and all that we do. But another way that we guard the gospel is by sharing the gospel with other people. We said that kind of casually, but we're coming back now, um, and we'll see. Paul's going to elaborate that in a little bit, how to guard the gospel. Now, we're going to see today, to guard the gospel, there's a person that we must be. We must be strong in grace. And there's a task that we must do. We must entrust the gospel to, to others. And then there's the price that that we're going to have to pay, and that's we're going to have to suffer hardships. And then Paul is going to give three examples of those who suffer, suffering not just for suffering's sake, but suffering for a greater cause, a, a goal. He talks about the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. And then next week, chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, we'll see as Paul gives three more examples of how present suffering leads to future glory. And so we'll look at that next week. But firstly... Um, how do we guard the gospel? We guard the gospel by um, being people we need to be, and that's people of grace. So we need grace. Look at verse 1. We need grace. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's a person you must be, Timothy, and that's a grace-filled man. Be the man, Timothy. Be strong. But the, the, the verb here is in a passive tense. In, in some translations, it, verse 1 may say, be strong. But here it says, be strengthened by the grace. Or another translation may be made strong. Would also be a good translation here. See, you need power, but the power doesn't come from within yourself. Again, it, 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 he's, he's not preaching that we've got to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. No, he's saying... You need to be strengthened. You need to be strong, but be strengthened by the grace of God. Seek the grace of God. Seek the help of God. Seek God who gives grace. So Paul, what's he saying? He's saying, don't just do something, but stand there. Stay rooted and connected in Christ. Because in Jesus, there's an abundant supply of grace. And we see this elsewhere in John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. And you're the branches. Think about that. That's a visual picture, right? You've got this rooted 
plant coming out of the ground and you got all these little branches coming off of it, right? Well, Jesus is the vine, the main vine there, and we're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We, we know this is a very familiar text. Jesus is the source of everything we need. And what do we need? We need grace. We need power. We need self-control. We need joy. We need hope. We need help. All synonyms of grace. The same grace that powered Paul to do God's work is available to Timothy. Be a grace-filled person, Timothy. And Paul writes elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You're like, well, what is it? Is it Paul doing it himself, or is it God? Paul's telling Timothy, be a, be a grace-filled person. Be strong. But the strength comes from, not yourself, but from the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 16. From his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace. Just after he says, talk about the word being manifested in the person of Christ. From his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. We remain strong by prayerfully asking for grace as in Christ Jesus. And it should be a part of our lives. This, for me, it's Jesus help me. Jesus help me. Maybe it's you. It's the Lord. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. You know, you sing that song, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you, right? Yeah. What is your prayer? What is your prayer? What do you, what do you, how do you stay connected and receive grace? It's, for me, it's Jesus help me. Jesus help me. That should be our continual cry. James chapter 4, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, you might be thinking, well, if grace comes to us totally apart from anything that we do, we don't, we don't do it on our own, then why does the Bible say that God gives grace to the humble? Doesn't that imply we must do something to earn it, to merit it? Is it us or is it God? What is it? Well, the answer is that by its very nature, grace can only be received by the humble. Because the proud person doesn't see or acknowledge their need for grace. And there's an exception there. We talk about common grace. Don't want to confuse you. What's common grace? Common grace is what every person on the planet receives. The heathen who lives his life total rebellion to the Lord. You've got somebody to come to your mind's eye, somebody you're thinking about. Total reprobate, rebellious against the Lord, don't love the Lord, doesn't live for the Lord, doesn't want to honor the Lord. But yet what does God do? He pours out, he gives them common grace. They eat good food. They laugh. They have people treat them well. They, have, they don't have blood pressure problems. They're healthy. Maybe they have a good job. That's common grace given to every, every person on the planet. Everybody receives common grace. But here, this is strengthening grace for the believer we're talking about here. Be strong in the Lord. Be full of grace, Timothy. Turn to Luke 
hold your place there in 2 Timothy. Look at Luke 18. Flip over. If you've got your Black Pew Bible, it's uh, page 1043. Luke chapter 18, real quickly. <clears throat> In order to guard the gospel, we have to be grace-filled people. Look at Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. Real quickly, we'll read through this. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus tells a story to men. Of those two men, who received grace? The tax collector. Why? Because he's humble. He desired it. He asked for it. He beat his breast. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, be gracious to me, a sinner. Now, we're talking about grace. It's, it's, it's a vital concept. It's real important. So it's not surprising that the enemy... He works overtime to subvert God's grace by, by spreading error, causing us to be confused about its very nature. And think about it, the religions of the world, with the exception of Christianity, promotes salvation either totally by works, by merit, by what you do on your own, or, or partially work you do on your own and partially God's work. Right? It gets distorted all the time by the enemy. He didn't want people to understand grace. Your grace is something you're given. It's not something that's earned. And we need more of it. We need more of it. Are you a person that's continually asking God for grace? Are you remaining in the vine? Lord, help me. I need your help. I need your help. Man, this class is really difficult. I can't figure this out. Lord, Jesus, help me. You got somebody in that you're in conflict with. You're having a hard time not being bitter or being ugly to them. Lord, Jesus, help me. Your kids aren't listening and they're being rebellious. Lord, help me. Your marriage isn't going well. Lord, help me. Financially, you're in a bind. Jesus, help me. We need to be grace-filled. We need to be strong in the Lord. To guard the gospel, we must be dependent on the Lord. We must be full of grace. Also, to guard the gospel, we must replace ourselves. Look at verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy must protect the truth, guard the gospel through delegation, you might say. Timothy had been taught the scriptures by Paul. He possibly won him to the Lord. He may be his father in the faith who actually um, he came to Lystra on his, on his missionary journeys, led him to Jesus. We're not sure. But we know that Paul had poured his life into Timothy. And what Paul's wanting 
Timothy to do is preserve the truth with a, a living chain that continues on through time. Paul passes truth on to Timothy. Timothy then finds faithful people who will then teach others. That's four generations. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and they'll teach others, right? Yeah. And when we, we talk about passing on what we've learned, it, it's not just mere content. You know, it's not just like, uh, okay, Rodney, we're going to meet together, um, meet together on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock. We're going to have this hour-long study time. And that could be it. But typically, it's more than mere content. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul reminded the Thessalonians that, that he had imparted to them not only the gospel, but his, but his own life because they had become very dear to him. So our text assumes that truth we teach is clothed in a godly life and, and, and a love for other people. It doesn't have to be just a set time, hey, we're going to meet for discipleship one hour a week. That could be the case. But more times than not, it's just living life together, right? Got to go to Walmart. Hey, won't you ride with me? Spend a little time together. We got, I got to run the store. I got to run some errands. Go do that with me. We'll talk as we're on the way. Notice it says, in the, in the presence of many witnesses. You could translate that through many witnesses. And the idea is not that Timothy was taught by these witnesses, but rather these witnesses could affirm the truth that Paul taught Timothy. And he says, entrust this to faithful men. As, as a pastor, I'll tell you, um, one of the things we used to do when we were overseas is we, we lived in a city, and there were 800,000 people there. Um, very few of them had ever heard the gospel, ever. And so we just try to share the gospel. We call it broad seed sowing. And we try to find people that were interested in the gospel at all. If they're interested and they had questions about it, then we would meet with them and we'd talk more. And then if they really had a lot of interest, Anna, we would invite them to study. Hey, won't you study with us? And we'd study with them. And eight out of ten of those people, after we studied for a while, they would kind of dissipate and kind of lose interest or whatever. There, there would be a few that were really excited and really wanted to learn. And as we would give them homework, things to do, they would apply those things and they would do them. Those are the faithful people. Now I've had people that I've met with, young men, um, you know, they have to go to work early, so I get up and meet them 5 o'clock in the morning and we meet for months. And we're just teaching the Bible and, and, and pointing things out in his life and getting things to do. And He's not doing any of those things. He's like, man, I really enjoy meeting. I really enjoy meeting too, but I'd actually rather you be doing some of the things that we're talking about. You're not making any adjustments in your life. You're not being faithful. And after a little while, after about you know, three months of that, I'm like, hey, I don't need a whole lot of sleep, but I'd rather be sleeping than meeting with you because you're not faithful. You haven't done any of the things that, I, that, that Scripture said you need to do. I'm pointing those things out to you. So finding faithful people, you, you can't just teach everybody. I mean, think about Christ. What did he do? He taught the masses, right? Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching disciples, but there are thousands there, right? Hundreds and thousands there listening. But what did he do? He, he had 12 that he poured his life into. And even out of those 12, he had three that he spent more time with. So we have to find faithful people. Yeah, who, who, who's, who wants to learn? Who wants to grow? Who wants to be taught the Word of God? Who wants to grow in godliness? That's who we look for. And we pour into people. The owner of Chick-fil-A. How do you say his name? 
S. Truett. Kathy? Is that how he says his name? I don't know how he says his name. Um, he says this, If you wish to enrich days, plant flowers. If you wish to enrich years, plant trees. But if you wish to enrich eternity, plant ideals in the lives of others. You could say ideals for truth. Plant truth in the lives of others. Yeah. Now, think about this. Paul is teaching this to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor. He's in Ephesus. He's pastor of church. He's a missionary. He's a church planner. So some of you may be thinking, well, this is for pastors. This is pastor's work. And we must replace ourselves. That's my job. Part of my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And that's part of our mantra, part of what we do. I'm looking for faithful men to pour into. Who's going to be faithful? Who can I give things to people to do? And they're faithful. I'm going to teach them more and give them more things to do, right? And raise up leaders. That's one of the things I think we do pretty well here at our church. But I think this, is, this, this principle is applicable for everybody. Not just for pastors. Because a lot of times you get in this mode, oh, that, that's pastors, that's what pastors are supposed to be doing. But what about husbands? You've been entrusted with truth. You've learned. It's not just for you to keep for yourselves, to make yourself feel good and keep for yourself. No. Husbands, share this with your wives and with your children. Mothers, yeah, the things you've learned, you share with your children. We do it with everything else. I mean, think about it. I mean, it, that's kind of the, the, the principle, isn't it? As, as fathers, as mothers, we, we teach our children the things that we can do. Like my dad, he taught me everything. I remember as a, a kid, wherever my dad went, I went. Cutting wood, helping somebody do something, putting a transmission in a 64 Chevy. It didn't matter what it was. I had to sit there and watch him. I said, well, Dad, I really can't do anything. Can I just go and play? No, you watch because you'll learn something. So I don't know how many hours, how many weeks of my life were sitting just watching my dad do something. And, and for, for the most part, I can, the things my dad can do, I can do. I can't do them nearly as well, but I can do a lot of those things because that's what he taught me. I think that's what daddies do. The most ridiculous thing in the world is to have a, a man who's mechanically inclined and can fix anything and is, have a son who can't fix, who, who doesn't fix anything at all. That's ridiculous. Now that's what we do as dads and mothers. What do we do? Yeah, I'm a really good cook, but my, my daughters can't cook a lick. Well, you should have been a better mama. Teach, you, teach your daughters how to cook. Well, they don't really want to. Yeah. Who really likes to weed eat and cut wood? Who really likes to do those things? Nobody, but you need to know how to do them. Right? Yeah, Dallas. Dallas, is, he was in the Coast Guard. He's a mechanic. Yeah. Joshua, he ought to know how to do a lot of those things that you can do. But spiritually, it's the same thing. As you learn and you study and you grow, yeah, teach that to your children. Well, you know, I guess they're, that's, that's, you know, kids got to make their own mind up. Really? Are you serious? That's, that's stupid. No, teach your kids the word. Teach them truth. You teach them everything else. Teach them the word. Teach them how to walk with Jesus. Teach them the scriptures. Those that are more mature. There's a lot of people in the, in, in, that, that know the, the Lord, that love the Lord, but yet they, they're immature. They need to be taught. Older ladies, you pass on what you've learned to younger ladies. Titus chapter 2 is Titus 2 principle, right? Titus 2, 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. Who do they teach it to? Teach it to younger women. Older men, same 
concept, right? Older men, yeah, we teach younger men. There may be some men in our church, there may be some young boys here who their dad, they don't, they're not in the picture or their dads don't know the Lord. Well, we can, we can teach these young people what we know. I think older women and older men are our greatest untapped resource in the church. Yeah, we just don't use them. I get older, well, I just kind of retire and I kind of kick back. No, you ought to be the busiest. Looking for young women, looking for young men that you can pour into. Share what you know with. Every Paul needs a Timothy and every Timothy needs a, a Paul. Barna Research Group, it was an article they put out in January of 2022 and says that most Christians experience some form of relational investment. In other words, people pouring into them. But they found two in five, that's 39%, aren't engaged in discipleship at all, meaning there's no one to pour into them and teach them, either one-on-one or in small groups. 39% of Christians say they're not experiencing any Second Timothy 2-2 relationships. And what's the result? Well, people are spending less time reading and studying the Bible, being discipled by others. They're spending more time reading blogs, doing self-reflection, thinking about what's best for them, right? And what happens over time is people become more comfortable picking and choosing what they deem to be helpful. They pick and choose what they think is theologically accurate. And so what happens, they become more comfortable discarding, you know, taking what they want and discarding the rest of the truths of the Scripture. Feelings and emotions play a bigger part in people's lives. Well, this is what I want to do. This is what feels good. This is, instead of like, what's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? That's what we do. We all got feelings. We all have things we want to do or things we don't want to do, but what's the Bible say? That's our authority. And that's what we do as Christians. And as a result of not discipling and pouring into people and teaching the younger, the older folks teaching the younger folks, we're losing the truth. We're not passing it on. To guard the gospel, we have to be grace-filled, dependent on the Lord, receiving His grace, but then we, we also have to be teaching others, replacing ourselves. Also, to guard the gospel, we must suffer hardships for a greater goal. And he mentions three examples here, verse 3 through 7, uh, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. And, and we've already been told and or we will be told in chapter 3, verse 12, we've, we've, we've mentioned it several times. Paul tells us that all who desire to live godly lives will suffer. They'll go through persecution. And so what Paul here, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who, who enlisted him. Think about a soldier. John Bambaro, he writes, the performance of a duty, distinguishing labors, Indeed, acts of valor before the commanding officer are all done amidst military endeavors. Paul is telling Timothy, live like a soldier whose life goal is to please his commanding officer. 
And Jesus is the one that Timothy is to please. So be diligent, be willing to suffer and sacrifice for your king. And Paul is real fond of military terms. He uses them a lot. Let's look at a couple. Philippians 2, 25. I, thought ne- I have thought it necessary to send, you to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Right? He uses that terminology a lot. And your messenger and minister um, to my need. Philemon chapter 1. Or verse 1 and 2, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. There we see that again. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare. So he uses this terminology a lot. We see it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul says, join us in suffering. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be suffering. Timothy, this is the job we're doing and what we're about. Being a part of the kingdom of God is, is not for sissies and softies. And you're never off duty. There was a, a man, he, he joined the Navy, he was a new recruit, and he asked his, his officer for a pass so he could attend a wedding. And the officer gave him the pass but informed him that he had to be back by 7 p.m. on Saturday. You don't understand, sir, said the recruit. I'm in the wedding. Commanding officer said, no, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. Commitment to the Navy takes precedent over all other commitments. He, he says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. What's that talking about? Well, Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think it's saying the same thing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Says he, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body of the church. He is beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the commanding officer. What's a soldier do? I mean, think about it. For those of you who've been in the military, what happens at boot camp, John? Dallas? What happens? What's the goal at youth camp? I mean, youth camp, youth camp. It's no youth camp. At boot camp. I've never been, right? <clears throat> what's the what's the job of the Drill sergeants, what are they trying to do? Yeah, yeah, they're trying to take mere men and make soldiers out of them. So what they have to do? They have to tear them down. Yeah, build them up and make them to where they, what's their, what's their answer to everything? Sir, yes, sir. Obey, obey, obey. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. So when you get in a battle, what happens? You're given an order. You go, ah. I don't know if I need to do that or not. No, that's not what happens. What's a soldier say? Yes, sir. That's what happens. Timothy, be a soldier. Don't get worried about so many other things. Be a soldier. You're part of the... You're a soldier in the kingdom. And you're serving one, primarily, King Jesus. Tom Brokaw, he wrote a book... You remember Tom Brokaw? Chris, you remember him? Somebody. Blake, you remember Tom Brokaw? I don't know if it was 
too old or not. But Tom Brokaw, he was a um, he worked for NBC News, and he wrote a book. I think it was after he maybe retired, The Greatest Generation. And he tells so many stories of those who went through uh, both the Great Depression and then fought in World War II. And he tells these stories of those even on the home front, not just those that went to war, but those on the, the home front who made contributions to the war effort. And these young people from all different walks of life, some were actors and athletes and workers and students and, and, and farmers and city dwellers. But they all sacrificed their individual lives to serve the cause of freedom in America and in the world. And he makes the point, he believes that this was the greatest generation because of their sacrifice, because of their devotedness, because of their commitment. Timothy, be a, be a good soldier. A soldier is loyal, he's single-minded and has a one-track mind. Obey your commanding officer. Yeah, a soldier has to be disciplined. Suffer hardships like a soldier who puts someone else's interest above their own. Also, suffer hardships for a greater goal like an athlete. Some of you can relate. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, in Paul's day, and an athlete who wanted who they wanted to participate in the Olympics, the Olympiad, they had to complete a, a required ten month training period before they could compete in the Olympics. So they had to be disciplined. They have to train. They have to be single minded. They have a goal that they work towards, and they sacrifice to attain that goal. I mean, some of you, we all we all said you, you go play. Some of you play college ball, Kalen, Cole. You play college ball, and what happens? It becomes a job. Yeah, it's a lot of work. A lot of sacrifice getting up every morning. Saturdays, too, at 6 o'clock. Are you kidding me? To go swim? I'm not on the swim team. I play baseball. What are we doing here? Yeah, it takes a lot of commitment. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, I, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Another, using this athlete metaphor. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Using the same analogy, yeah, we've got to be disciplined. We're trying to attain a, a goal, but we have to do it a certain way. We have to live a certain way. We have to be disciplined. Scott Hamilton, you remember him? He was a, a figure skater. I hate figure skating. My mom loves it. So we, we watched figure skating growing up. And it was Scott Hamilton. He was kind of good, though, because he would do flips. Remember him? He would do the back flips and stuff. Then I think they banned that. Like, why would you ban something that makes it fun to watch? But anyway, Scott Hamilton, he won the gold medal. And he's there, and he's looking at his medal, and, and, and people are asking him, like, why are you looking at your medal? Kind of weird. He said, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm looking at 16 years of my life. Because what did he do day in and day out? He worked, and he trained, and he sacrificed. While other kids were out doing whatever, he's going to the rink and training. 16 years of his life. Suffered hardships for a greater goal. Like the 
soldier does and like the athlete does and like the farmer does. We've got a few farmers in here. I remember Rick was farming. And Blake, that's what Blake wanted to do as a, as a youngin. He always wanted to farm. And I remember my, uh, my dad telling me, man, being a farmer is a, is a lot of work, a lot of stress involved in that. You know, we have, a, we have a lot over here in this last year. Last several years, the students have planted a garden, and they did a good job. They planted a garden. And then um, some of them helped keep it. It was mainly my dad, Mike, and Morgan. They kind of kept the garden. It's a lot of work, isn't it? I mean, I don't know how, how big that, three-quarters of an acre or whatever, but it's a lot of work, weeding it and chopping it. and Then you got to get the vegetables, and then you got to put them up, and it's a lot of work. Imagine doing all that without Sam Miller and Terry Rose tilling it up with their rototiller on the back of their 8-in tractor, right? Yeah, it's a lot of work, especially back then. A farmer's diligent. He sacrifices time and energy to make a crop. See kind of the, kind of the similarities here? You have a soldier, and you have an athlete, and you have a farmer all being diligent, single-minded, working for a goal, sacrificing for it. Right? The gospel is to be guarded. We guard it by being strong in grace. Help me, Lord. That should be our hymn. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Help me, Lord. The gospel is to be guarded by replacing ourselves. The things we've learned, we need to pour and teach somebody else. And that's what I do. I try to look and find faithful people that... that Need, need somebody to spend time with. Right, and I've, I've got several that I, outside our church that I meet with. That they're at other churches doing ministry. And, yeah, we replace ourselves, teaching the faithful what we've been taught. And then we, we, we guard the gospel by being willing to join in suffering and getting after it, doing the hard work. Being a Christian is not an easy thing. I... When people say they want to, they say, hey, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. I just kind of try to talk them out of it. Are you sure this is what you want to do? Because the Lord wants to be your master. He wants to be your Lord. This is going to change your life forever. You sure that's what you want? It's worth it. You ought to repent and believe. Your life will never be the same. You'll never regret it. But it's hard. We've got to count the cost, don't we? Is that what you want to do? You want to have a Lord? A commanding officer that you have to obey? Yeah. How do we apply this? How do we apply this to our lives? I think firstly, I just want to ask you, are you remaining in Jesus? Are you grace-filled? Is your mantra when life gets hard? Are you kind of saying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me? Not throwing the towel, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Is it, no, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Is that your prayer? Help me, Lord. That should be a part of your everyday life. I need grace. Help me. Help me. Help me. Secondly, who's your Timothy? Who's your Timothy? It may be your, your kids, your wife, living in your own home. It may be a coworker. It may be somebody here. It may be one of our little ones that goes to children's church. It may be a student that you're spending time with. Who's your Timothy? 
Because I'm looking around here, and there's a lot of people that know a lot about the Word, a lot of knowledge, with good understanding of the Bible. And who's your, who's your Timothy? <coughs> and maybe for you, it may be. Maybe um, that you, you, the question is not who's your Timothy, but for you it may be like who's your Paul. You're like, man, I'm I'm ignorant. I'm just ignorant. I don't know anything. I want somebody to teach me. So the question may not be who's your Timothy. Maybe who's your Paul? Are you want to learn? Man, I need to grow. I want to learn. I want to know the Bible. I want to know how to love people. Well. I want to know how to follow Jesus. I want to know how to love my wife well. I don't know how to love my kids well, how to love my husband well. Well, maybe you need, you need a Paul. If you want a Paul, let me tell you a couple of things to do. Two things. One, be involved in a small group. If you're like, well, I don't know much about your small groups. Maybe next week, maybe we'll show our small group leaders um, how you can get involved in a small group. I would, I would encourage you, get involved in a small group. And uh, secondly, Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights. We're starting Wednesday nights. Beaver Kids back this Wednesday as Hunter and Morgan is so eloquently informed you. It's something for everybody. But you ought to come. Come and eat supper with us. If you're an adult, six thirty, five dollars. If you don't have five dollars, I'll pay for your dinner. It's a great dinner. I think we're having spaghetti this week. But we sit and we spend time together and then we, we do Bible study together. But it, while you're there mixing rubbing elbows with people, you're gonna find a Paul if you want one. Or if I, if that doesn't work out for you, just tell me, hey I want a Paul. Do you have time to spend with me, or do you know somebody that I could spend time with? A lot of Timothy's here, a lot of Paul's. We all need to be doing that, right? Replacing ourselves just by way of application. And thirdly, I think we, we, we have to ask, are we single-minded and willing to suffer? Are we loyal like the soldier, like the athlete, like the farmer? And It's not just working to be worked, right? No, you're disciplined like a, a soldier to, so you can have victory, right? An athlete to win the game, to win the prize. And, and, and a farmer, you're, you're being diligent, you're working hard, you're getting after it so you can have a crop. So there's a reward. We're not doing it just to be doing it. But that, that's fine, right? We have, a, we have a, an officer who we say yes, sir, to. But, but there's a reward. Isn't it? C.K. Barrett, he, he writes this. Beyond warfare is victory. Beyond the athlete's effort is the prize. And beyond agricultural labor is the crop. Don't forget, we, there's a reward for those who are faithful. Those who are faithful guarding the gospel. There's a reward for us. And, and maybe you're here and, and, and some of this, you're just like, man, I'm, I'm not real sure where I fit in this. Am I... A Paul or Timothy. I'm definitely not a Paul. Maybe I'm a Timothy. And maybe you're thinking, man, I haven't even, I don't know anything about what it, what it means to be a, in the game here. Well, well, I'll tell you real quickly. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and we've all rebelled against the Lord. And we deserve, because of our sin, we deserve hell and the wrath of God. That's the only thing we deserve. So be real careful. Say, well, I don't deserve that. We all deserve God's worst. But because God is merciful, he sent Jesus to live the perfect life for us and to die a terrible death where he received the wrath of the Father for sinners. 
The Bible says that he died, was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave. And that's the work of Christ. And because of the work of Christ, we sinners can be reconciled to the Father who's perfect and holy because of what Christ has done for us. Think, how does that all work together? The Bible tells us to repent. It means to turn from living for ourselves and, and obey the Lord. It tells us to believe. Trust the work that Christ did. He did for you specifically. And it's not just a cognitive thing. You're just kind of putting this thing together. No, it's a, it's a work of God. The Holy Spirit has to bring that about and give you desire to repent. And then he gives you the faith to believe. Because it's all of God. Isn't that something? ain't just pulling us up and figuring out. But God does call us to repent and believe. So maybe by way of application today, you need to repent and believe and just get in in the game so you can become a Timothy. I want to encourage you to do that. If, you, if I've just muddied the water and you don't have any understanding of what I just said, but you want to know, come tell me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Or grab somebody here. There's a lot of people here that love the Lord and they could explain it real clearly to you. How do we guard the gospel? Help me, Lord. Give me grace. Help me obey you. Help me obey you. I need your help. I want to obey. I just need you to help me do it. We all have, we all have struggles. And some of you have going through a hard time. But God wants you to obey. He wants you to please him. And you can. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to obey you. I don't want to do it. I want to do what I want to do. Pray that prayer. Lord, help me. Give me grace. He'll give it to you. Replace yourself. A lot of Pauls in here that need to be spending time with Timothy's. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to suffer and, and work hard and get after it for God's glory. Let's pray. I want you to stand with us and the praise team is going to come. We're going to sing. It's by way of getting out of here, benediction here. We'll pray for us and we're going to sing. Father, we acknowledge your goodness and we are thankful for your word. Father, we're thankful that you give it to us and we can understand it. And, and Father, we recognize that we, we all need grace. We all need grace. But maybe there's some who've just kind of been coasting and kind of been going through the motions. They, they know you. Maybe some of us, we're just kind of going through the motions and we're not really seeking you. We're not been saying, Lord, help me, help me, help me. We've been kind of doing what we want to do. And, I just pray that you'll do a work in our, in our church, in our each and every heart, that this week we would be that branch that remains in the vine. And because we remain in Jesus and we're continually saying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Some of you, you're, you're in situations real hard and you're just ready to give up and throw in the towel and say, I want to do what I want to do because I think that's what's best for me. But you know that's not what's, what God wants you to do. I want you to spend this week, just spend this week continually saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I don't want to forgive this person. I don't want to be kind to this person. I don't want to do what's right. I want you to just ask your prayer this week. Lord, help me. Change my heart. Lord, help me. Change my heart. And see what the Lord does. He gives grace in abundance. He wants us to obey him. He wants to help us obey him. Let's make that our prayer this week.
Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Give me grace. For some of us, Father, we need to be Paul's teaching Timothy's. We've been selfish with our time, selfish with our money, selfish with our energy. But there's some people that Lord's put kind of in our sphere of influence that we need to be spending time with, encouraging and loving. Pray that you'd move in the hearts of people that need to be doing that. And there's some folks who, Timothy's that need Paul's. They need to be serious about what you're doing in their life. They need to be asking people to help them. Lord, help us to be Second Timothy 2-2 people. Willing to invest in people that want to learn. We spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money on a lot of things, Father. But sometimes I think in my own life I get caught up in things that don't really matter. Help us be loyal and single-minded and devoted just like the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. And Father, there's any here that's lost, it's yet to repent and believe, I pray that you would do a work today. You'd save lost people. The people, because they came and heard the gospel, people today would enter into glory because you've been gracious to them, helping them repent and believe. Thank you, Father, for all that you do. There's a lot of people that are out because of the weather or the roads, and there's some that are sick. We just ask for grace upon our people. Help us be a good church by reaching out to our folks, meeting needs. We pray in Jesus' name.